Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. or whatever, go and get them. Turn to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, they'll have um, words up on the screen. Scripture will be up on the screen for you so you can follow along in that way. As, uh, as our church, what we've been doing for the, really for the year, we've been studying through the book of John together. So we are now at John chapter 11, so we're gonna study that today. And I know it doesn't specifically speak of the resurrection of Jesus, but it does in a way, and we'll get to that here um, in just a little bit. We're gonna study this together The book of John was written by um, the apostle named John. There's four different gospel accounts. By gospel account, which means good news accounts of Jesus. Four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all have different perspectives and different reasons for writing the books that they've written. Some come from Jewish faith. Some come um, more from a kind of a Gentile understanding or Greek understanding. John writes specifically for us. He's chosen particular accounts, particular stories and memories that we might know, according to John chapter 20, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, he's the savior of the world, and that by believing on him, we might find life and find it in his name. Uh, As Christians, Orthodox Christians, we believe that Jesus is the son of God, and that God sent him to earth as God in flesh to pay for the sins of humanity. And in his death on the cross, he paid for those sins, but in his resurrection, he Nailed, put the final nail in the coffin, declaring victory even over death and the penalty of sin that we might walk in freedom and in new life. So that's what we study uh, this morning. Uh, May 19th, 2007, one of the greatest days of my life. My wife and I got married, so we're coming up on 14 years. Um, so our marriage is like an early teenager, which sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but we're coming up on 14 years of marriage. And we've spent 14 years being married. Now, on that day, um, it was a, an amazing day, just a, a beautiful day, a gospel-centered day, a day surrounded by our friends and family, a day of laughs, laughter and joy and, some, and an ice sculpture of a flamingo, I think. I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. I didn't order that, but it was there. The kids licked at the reception. It was pre-COVID, so you could do that. Now, you can't do that now, but you could have back then. So anyway, uh, we got married, beautiful day, and I was present for that day. Anybody else present for your wedding day? I was there. Um, I was there for mine, which is why to this day, um, Meredith wants to watch our wedding video, and I say, baby, I was there. Like, I I saw it. I was part of it. So you feel free to watch it, but I remember that day. Any other men, just, this is, help me out that you don't watch your wedding video. Cool. Thank you for that. Um. But for our marriage, right, um, we have this day, we have this event that happened, this wedding that happened, and we went through with the wedding. And from that wedding now, we have garnered a marriage, and the, the marriage began with a wedding, but the wedding is not our marriage. So if through the course of our marriage, if I did, was, did not act married to her, I did not live with her, I did not um, pursue her, did not love her well, I just, we, I just knew that every year we'd come back and celebrate this event that happened. I'm not sure how good my marriage would be or if I'd even have a marriage with my wife. If I said, hey girl, like I, I know you want to see me multiple times this week, but listen, let's just, May 19th, I'll see you again. It'll be amazing. And we'll celebrate the event that happened. It will be awesome. Do you wanna do that? And she'd be like, no, I don't. I don't want to do that. I found someone who does want to do that. Uh, you can marry them, but this, you will not be with me. 
Uh, but for many of us as followers of Jesus, we do the very same thing. We have a, uh, an event of the resurrection that we remember as an event, and yet it hasn't impacted our present, hasn't impacted our daily lives. And so we, we celebrate the event, but the event hasn't done anything for us um, throughout the course of our lives. Jesus is gonna make a statement here in John chapter 11 that is profound for a number of different ways, but I hope for us it starts to conjure up and stir up a different kind of affection for what we celebrate today and how it's not just an event. Resurrection is a person. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. For many of us, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as if it's something that only happened one time, that there's only been one resurrection. I wanna give you, um, I'm gonna pop that bubble for you. Resurrection has happened multiple times. It, throughout the course of the world, resurrection has happened multiple times. And in fact, in medicine, there is a particular uh, syndrome called the Lazarus syndrome for this. Since 1982, 38 people have come back from the dead. 38 people, 38 of them. We don't sing songs about them. We don't worship them. But 38 people have come back from the dead. It's called um, Lazarus syndrome. It's after multiple failed resuscitation attempts, Somebody would then stay dead. They'd be declared medically dead and stay dead for a period of, of minutes to hours, even close to a day. The longest event happened in 2008 where a woman in West Virginia named Velma Thomas was declared dead for 17 hours and then came back from the dead. Sweet Velma came back from the dead. Most recently, it happened um, August 23rd of 2020, which of course it happened in 2020. What, what, I mean, what else? In August 23rd of, of 2020, a woman by the name of Tamisha Beauchamp in Michigan was declared dead after 30 minutes of failed resuscitation attempts. She put it on a gurney, loaded into a truck, and taken to a funeral home, only to awaken from her death in the funeral home. You can laugh at that, because that's funny, that's funny. I just, I pictured the workers being like, I'm out, I don't, never again. I will do anything else but this. This is not the job for me. I don't, I don't want this job anymore. 2020, this happened August 23rd of 2020. So if you've put all of your hope in the fact that a man rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, I got news. You got a whole other group of people you need to start worshiping if that's why we're gonna worship. This is not about this event that happened, although it's part of it. In the same way that my marriage is not about my wedding, my wedding is a part of it. It's the marriage is evidence that what we said on our wedding day actually holds true. That's why it's important. Jesus himself, in fact, had already, at this point in John 11, had resurrected two other people from the dead. Like, he's good at it. He's done this before. He's done it in varying degrees, and now we're gonna step into John chapter 11, and Jesus is going to raise a third person from the dead. He's gonna bring them back to life in John chapter 11. So let me give you some context. We're two and a half weeks probably or so before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection that we're celebrating on Easter Sunday. Two and a half weeks before that, um, things are getting heated in this area, particularly in, in Judea and in Jerusalem. And so there's a lot happening. Um, the religious leaders at that time are really upset with Jesus. He's made some claims about who he is that they just don't like. He's done, done some things to go against some, some laws that they hold as sacred. And so they don't like that. John chapter 10, they're prepared to stone him to death. And they're waiting for that moment. Jesus has um, a family that he's gotten really close to, Mary and Martha. 
and then their brother Lazarus. Word comes to Jesus that Lazarus has fallen deathly ill. Just a violent sickness has come upon him quickly. Mary and Martha are trying to nurse him along. They send someone to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Come quickly. Because Mary and Martha know that Jesus has the power to heal. And so they're just trying to keep Lazarus alive. Just stay alive until Jesus gets here. Nursing him, cleaning up the vomit, keeping cool rags on his forehead, doing everything that they can. And Jesus is not in town. And we read in John chapter 11 that Jesus, in fact, delays his coming by two days. He delays it by two days. And for many of you, that right there pressed on a sore spot for you because it doesn't make sense that Jesus would wait. It seems so inhumane and cruel for him to make this family continue in grief when he has the power to heal. But he delays he travels back to Judea and Jerusalem, which means he's coming into the danger zone. He's coming into a place where he could literally lose his life. He's told his disciples that um, Lazarus, in a very Jewish way, has, he has said Lazarus has fallen asleep. It's a very Jewish way of saying he's died or passed away. And the disciples don't wanna believe that. So they say, well, if he's asleep, why don't they just have somebody wake him up? And Jesus deeply sighs like any good parent does and says, you dummies, he's dead. He's dead. And so we're going back. They're going to Judea and Jerusalem and um, the disciples are like, you don't wanna do this? Like, I do wanna do that. Like, you don't wanna do this? Like, I'm Jesus, I do what I want. I, I'm going back there. And Thomas, Thomas says, I think just picture Thomas in frustration saying, fine, at the end of this in uh, John eleven sixteen 16 says, fine, let us go that we might die with him too. It's fine. We'll all go die together then. We'll just all go fall asleep together. So they're on their way back. We're gonna pick up in John 11, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So again, the event of Jesus, a miraculous event of his resurrection, but he was dead for three days. He rose again on the third day. Lazarus is dead for four days, which if you're keeping count is longer than three days. He's been longer, this is the longest someone has been dead that Jesus is going to miraculously intervene on. And he's been dead for four days. Longer than Jesus, which means this miracle might actually be more powerful on the surface than the miracle of Jesus raising from the dead. If we're gonna worship an event, this seems like the one. This seems like the big one. Four full days of death, and he rises from. Been dead for four days. So this is important that John tells us this. In a lot of Jewish thought, the belief was that the spirit of somebody would hover over the dead body for up to three days. But then on the fourth day, the spirit would depart and would leave. That was the belief. So um, graveyards, Jewish graveyards, it would be families who would stay three days there with their deceased loved one in hopes that their spirit would enter their body again and they would come back to life. So it tells us um, that this must have happened before. It must have happened before that there was someone who was dead, but the spirit hovered over them, entered the body again, they came back to life. It had to have happened before for these people to believe there's a chance of this happening. But when we find him there for four days, what John is telling us, he was dead, dead. Like really, really dead at this point. He's been dead for four, in the tomb for four days. It also tells us that um, if they expected maybe, maybe the spirit entered the body at some point over the first three days, the night of the third day would have been the peak of grief because then he's really dead. Then there's no shot. And so grief is mounting, pain is mounting, anger is mounting. 
verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, so he's entering back into Jerusalem, which would lead ultimately to Jesus' death and resurrection. This move, this chest move, would put him in danger of his death. Verse 19, many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha runs to Jesus, verse 21, and says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So I wanna point out a few things in this account um, of how Martha handles this situation and then why the words of Jesus are gonna be so profound for her and therefore um, for us on this day. Martha runs to Jesus in the height of her grief, in the height of her pain, angry with him. He knew days before what was happening. He knew. And she gets to him and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says, where were you? You could have helped. You could have intervened. You could have stopped this from happening if you would have been here. And in disgust and anger, she makes this statement. You see, Martha has an event in her past that has tangled its way into her present. Jesus is there. Jesus, the son of God who has raised people from the dead before, the son of God who has healed the blind and healed the lame and given the mute their speech back, this same Jesus, she's witness of this. She's been close to this. He gets there and all she has is the past. That's all she has. And the past has so tangled its way into her present that she's missing Jesus in the present. And she says, why didn't you help? And again, for many of us in the room, this is pressing upon a tender spot in your heart because you, like Martha, have asked the same question of the Lord. For many of us, it's why you're not following Jesus anymore. It's why you've given up on church. You're here because your wife made you come or because your mama made you come or because you knew it was the right thing to do in Georgia on Easter Sunday. But if you're being honest, there's something in your past that the question is, God, why didn't you stop it? If you would have been there, it wouldn't have happened. If you would have been there, this problem would have been solved. If you would have been there, I wouldn't have that trauma. If you would have been there, and you weren't, you weren't. For some of us, it is the, the trauma of our own sinful behavior in the past that says, I, there's no way. Like, sure, Jesus, if you, would have, if you would have intervened before, like before I became a heroin addict, before I started smoking pot, before I got, um, became an alcoholic, before I started uh, looking at pornography, before that, before I committed adultery, before I walked in the ways of the world, if you would have been there before that, then things would have been fine. Where were you? You said you're always with me. Where were you? And now this thing in your past has so tangled the present that you're in a mess. So whatever happened in the past has great substance to it, so much substance that your entire life teeters back towards the past and everything runs back to the past and you're hindering yourself in the present. Martha asks a valid question. Why didn't you come? But look what she says in verse 22 because she's a good Christian, verse 22. Even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
which taken out of context seems like a very good thing to say, right? Yes. But I'm gonna argue with you, she doesn't mean this. She just knows she's supposed to say it. Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. It's a bold statement. Your brother is gonna come back from the dead. He will rise again. Resurrection means to rise again. Your brother will resurrect. He's coming again. Verse 24, and Martha says to him, I know, I know that he's going to resurrect in the last, the resurrection on the last day. So she's got this past that's so tangled her present. Anger, hatred, grief, shame, whatever your flavor of past is, And now she says, okay, okay. And Jesus says, he's gonna rise again. And so now, because the past has done nothing for her present, she jumps to the distant future and says, I know. Because in the future, he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. What she's saying is, I know, like, I get it. I know, as a good Jewish woman, I understand that in the last day, this is coming for him, and yeah, great, and that's wonderful for the future, but it is nothing for me right now. She has hope, but her hope is in some future event. It's planted there. It's rooted in some future event. Yeah, when that happens, then things will be okay. But I've got another 45 years on this earth without him. What does that have to do with now? Like, thank you for your condolences, but it's not helping. So for some of us, maybe it's the past that's hindering our present. For many of us, we have some shot, some hope in the future. And it might be, it might be that you've been raised in the church and so you know at some point, God's gonna make everything right with the world. But until then, I just have to deal with this, with this garbage heap called the world. And so you're just making through and you're anxious, and you're depressed, and you're bitter, and you're frustrated, and all you see is death, all you see is pain. You're like, yeah, yeah, I just, I just gotta make it through to this day. Then there's some of us who the future event we've placed all of our hope in has nothing to do with Jesus, has more to do with you. So you're saying, when I graduate high school, then things will be better. No, it won't. When I graduate college, when I, when I get married, then, then I'll be happy. Cool, Disney, thanks for that. When I, when I have my own kids, when I adopt, when I get this promotion, when I have this much in my, in my 401k, when I retire, we have our hopes placed in some future thing, but the truth is, if we're honest, that future thing does nothing for right now. We're just biding time to get to there. This is Martha's just pithy, weak, shallow theology that has nothing to do with her present. And here's what I know. For a group this size in a room like this, there are many of us today who we have some sort of Martha theology that we know enough that some event happened where Jesus rose from the dead and at some point in the future, things are gonna get better. But right now, that has nothing to do with me. And so we have all the bumper sticker theology. We have, we have Jesus is my co-pilot and we have too blessed to be stressed and, and we have all of those things, but they don't mean a hill of beans to what you're going through right now. If we're being honest, they don't matter because that doesn't help with the cancer diagnosis. That doesn't help with the job loss. That doesn't help with your kids going crazy and wilding out. You, it doesn't help right now. Great, at some point things are gonna be fine, but right now, what about now? Like what about right now? 
If you've got hurt in your past, your own whatever in the past, you're being hindered in the present. In the same way, if the only hope you have is in something in the future, it's planted in the future, one day, someday, then you're not going to experience substance in the present. So for many of us, we've got substance in the past and we've got substance in the future and we've got a hollow present. And what the Lord has done over the past year and a half is he's exposed you for having a hollow present. Because what you thought was substantial doesn't matter anymore. You haven't run to him. You've run to Netflix and you've run to alcohol and you've run to relationships and you've run to fear and you've run to politics, but you haven't run to the substance of the resurrection. So many of us have a hollow present because our substance is on either end of it. So see what Jesus says in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Sounds like a crazy statement. She says, yeah, I know. He will rise again at the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus says, that thing in the future, I'm pulling it into the present. That thing in the future, I'm pulling it into the present. So you're hurt in the past. I'm pulling it into the present. I am that. The death of the past and the life in the future are coming to meet in the present in me. I am the resurrection and the life. It's in me. It's in me, he says. Notice he doesn't say, I perform resurrections. I, I went to four years of resurrection school. I can handle this. I'm pretty good. I've done two so far. This will be my third, but I think I can do it. He doesn't, he doesn't say he's responsible for resurrections or even that he has the power to resurrect. His statement is, I'm it. I'm it. I, wherever I am, there is life. Wherever I am, there is resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He continues in verse 25, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. These are all present tense words. And everyone who lives and believes, that word is pistueo in the Greek, which means to trust. Whoever trusts in me, not who trusts in my resurrection, not who trusts in an event, who trusts in me. Whoever has relationship with me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, meaning the anointed one. You are the son of God who is coming or who has come into the world. Her response is, yes, my theology is right. Yes, yes. I get, yes, I get all of those things. I believe you're the savior. But Lazarus is still dead. I get that you are the savior. But I don't wanna have to wait I get that you're the savior. What's that have to do with me now? I wonder if many of us this morning would ask the same question. Yeah, I believe all of those things. I grew up in church. I grew up, I grew up in churches that taught, I, yes, I know all of those things, but I don't, I, this is not helping now. So the account continues. Uh, Martha's sister, Mary, Jesus meets with Mary. Mary asks a similar question. Um, people are hearing about what's happening. Jesus weeps at the tomb of, of Lazarus. Go to verse 38. And then Jesus, deeply moved. This word is like a compassion mixed with anger. Compassionate over the tears of his loved one, but angry over the power of death. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it, which is typical. And Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Remember before, Martha had said, hey, uh, we know that whatever you ask God, he'll do it in your name. You don't believe that. Because five minutes later, Jesus is about to ask the Lord for something and you're gonna tell Jesus why this can't happen. But notice her excuse. It's not that stone is too heavy. It's not, uh, it, it's not those, it's not, listen, this is resurrection. It's not he was really sick. What she says is, yeah, but if you do this, he smells awful. What she's saying is, sure, you can take him out of the tomb, but the stench of death is gonna be left on him and I don't wanna deal with that though. I have to drag his body out? This is how we know. She has a hollow present. Whatever happened in the past has made her disbelieve and distrust the power of Jesus in the present. And whatever she's holding to in the future has not made its way into the present. She's saying, remember, in the past, if you had been there, which means there was hope, but you missed your window, Jesus. As many of us today, there was hope, but you really screwed up because you had a chance and you didn't step in. So now my life is this. Some of us, like her, she has hope in the future. He'll rise again on the last day. So there's future hope, but there's no present hope for her. Jesus continues in verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believed, if you trusted in me, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's an old Puritan preacher who says that Jesus had to say the name Lazarus, otherwise every Jewish dead body would have come out of the tombs at that moment. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So here's a new event, a new resurrection, a man dead for four days that Jesus miraculously resurrects from the dead. The, the power of this miracle cannot be lost on us. And yet in the midst of it, Jesus makes a statement that I am the resurrection and the life. And here's what he's saying. The resurrection is not an event, it's me. And there are some of us here today that we are so tied to our past that we're missing the present. You have past hurts, you have past grief and shame and guilt. Some of us have past pride. Well, back in my day, or the church I used to go to, or, or, or traditionally, here's what we've always done, and so you're so tied to your past, it's so tangled yourself that you're missing Jesus in the present. And if you're being honest, you're dangerously close to walking away. Then there's some of us who have our hope in some future event. It might be that when Jesus comes to make all things new, it might just mean, it might be, well, when I get this bum knee fixed, when I get this fixed, when I graduate, when I get married, when I have kids, when I get a raise, when I get a promotion, when, when, that, when that boss finally quits, everything's gonna be better. And you're missing the present. 
It's not that he was the resurrection or will be the resurrection. He is the resurrection. So whatever you're in today, whatever you're facing today, he is new life. He is the resurrection today. Today he's bringing dead things to life. Not in the future. He didn't miss a chance in the past. It's today. Well, notice in verse 44 that Lazarus came out with his hands and feet bound with linen strips and face wrapped in a cloth. These were his grave clothes. So he comes out with them. Why? Because he's gonna have to go back in. Because the sad part about Lazarus is he's gonna have to die twice. And Mary and Martha are gonna have to grieve twice. So he comes out with his grave clothes on knowing he's gonna have to go back in eventually. But Jesus is the resurrection. He has a different authority. In John chapter 20, the resurrection of Jesus, that first Easter morning, um, Mary Magdalene has been at the tomb. She's seen that the tomb is empty. She's run back to the disciples and told Peter and John. Peter and John run to the tomb just to check it out for themselves because men don't believe women. And so they run as fast as they can uh, to see what's going on. I, I, I do. I'm just saying some men don't. And so they run back. Uh, they run to the tomb Um, uh, John gets there first, but he won't go in. So Peter looks in. John chapter 20, verse six. Simon Peter came following John and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there. Whoa, hold on. The grave clothes are not on Jesus. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. John is writing this, like he wrote John 11. And he's specific. He mentions the two things. The face cloth and the linen cloths to draw our mind back to Lazarus. Lazarus, is, Lazarus needed them. Jesus doesn't have them. They had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why is Jesus the resurrection and the life? Because he doesn't have to go back in. Because it is finished. Because he's not visiting his death again. He's the authority. He gets to say, and so he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So whatever you're facing today, whatever you're mired in from your past or hoping for in the future, they've all been brought present in the resurrection of Jesus in this moment, and he can do it. Nothing stands a chance against the resurrection and the life. Peter, one of those disciples there who ran with John, he went through his own um, mountains and valleys of following Jesus. But he writes a letter to the church in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter one, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to be given new life to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a future hope, a present living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you're here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, please don't just celebrate an event. Celebrate the person of Jesus who is present with you today. It's a living hope. It's here. That whatever has been dead can be brought to life. He continues in 1 Peter 1 and talks about how we all go through suffering but that God has ordained suffering, that it might develop in us endurance, that we might have character because of our suffering. There's a, a purpose in it. And without living hope, we don't know how to suffer well. But he says this at the end of this uh, passage, verse eight, Peter says, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, you trust in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls, and you obtain it today. Our souls through sin are dead and they need a resurrection. And it's not coming in the future and it didn't come in the past, it's here today. Your resurrection is here today. I don't know what you've brought in here with you today. I know that my tendency is to bring my past in with me. I know that um, part of my tendency and the way that I'm wired and my personality is that I hold on to shame from my past and it burdens me in my present. And so even when Jesus shows up, even when the spirit moves in my heart in the present, I'm quick to doubt it because the past used to have such a stranglehold on me. I also know that I'm prone to look into the future. I like to think about when things will be better and what we have to do to create, I like to have vision about the future. And sometimes I can get so wrapped up in, well, listen, this time next year, or when we get here, or when we have this in savings, or when we get to this point in our marriage, it's not affecting me now, I'm just waiting. I don't know what you've brought in here today. But the hope of the resurrection of Jesus didn't end 2,000 years ago, it's true today. And because he lives, we can face today and tomorrow. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes, and one thing that we like to do here, just give us a chance to sit and think. We don't do this often enough. Uh, like Martha, we like to jump to the next thing to do. We're doers. So in these moments, just I wanna ask for you, just ponder if the resurrection of Jesus has made its way into your present life today. And there may be some of us today that the past has such a strangled hold on us in the present that we're missing Jesus. It's past um, grief, it's past anger, past shame and guilt. It might be a pride of the way things used to be in the past. It's keeping you from Jesus in the present. And I'm just gonna ask you by means of confession with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. If you just raise your hand and say, I, I need you to pray for me. I'm, the past has a stranglehold on my present. Would you just raise your hand? Because I'm with you, you're not alone. It's your past sin, your past failures, your past regrets. Praise the Lord for your boldness. This is why Easter matters to you today with your hands raised. Just why Easter matters to you today because tomorrow doesn't have to be like today. And today doesn't have to be like yesterday. Whatever was dead can be brought to life today. Then there are some of us who have all of our hope placed squarely in the future. So we're waiting for some event, some day, some time. And some of us, it's theological. So we aren't present now, investing in the world and serving Jesus now. We're waiting for him to take us home. And for some of us, it's not theological, it's just about us. It's things that we're progressing towards. How many of you would raise your hand just in honesty and say, yeah, by means of confession, the future is the thing for me. My hope is in the future and I'm missing the present. Praise the Lord for your honesty today. Listen, God is good. And he's present here. Then I wonder if there's anybody here today who would, who would say, I, I'm not even following Jesus. Like I, I do the church thing from time to time or I don't even. 
And what I've learned is that I'm, I'm trying to create a future for me that's gonna redeem my past and I'm exhausted because of it. I'm trying to make up for what I've done in my past by trying to create a better future for me or for my family. And you feel the weight of it, you feel the burden of it, and it's crippling you. Jesus came to set you free from that. He will untangle your past and give you a hope in the future that makes its way into your present today. And today can be the day of salvation. Is there anybody this morning who would say, I just, I've, I'm not following Jesus. I, I wanna know what it means. Can I, I wanna follow Jesus today. I wanna give my life and be saved by Jesus, the resurrected one. Anybody this morning? Follow Jesus. We confess that we are sinners in need of a savior. That we can't do it on our own. That we believe that he is the resurrection. He is the son of God, the only one equipped to take away our sin and the burden of guilt and shame that's plagued us. Then we confess that he is Lord. We have relationship with him moving forward. That is where we find salvation. I just wanna pray for us. If you have things you need to be prayed over or you wanna come and have a conversation, Daryl will give us instruction for that. But this altar is open at any point for you to come and do that. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for resurrection. I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. That on that day, thousands of years ago, when Mary Magdalene ran to the tomb and found it empty, my tomb was empty too. And so today, as your son, as a son of the Most High, today I walk in the victory of the resurrection. It's not just a past event or a future hope, it's present for me today. Pray for the people in the room today, so entangled by their past. Like me, Father, would, would you set them free? I know what it is to taste that freedom. God, would you give it to them? Show them the empty tomb. Show them their empty tomb today. For those of us so embroiled in some hope of the future, the next step or the next phase that's keeping us from um, what you're doing in us and through us today, um, convict us of that. Tear down that idol of the future that we might be present with you and worship you today. May you be glorified today. In spirit and in truth, we celebrate your resurrection in Jesus' name.